welcome back to Star Wars All In, the show that goes into all of the details of the people, places, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. Tonight, it's just me, Ross here. Mac is uh, homesick from school, so he was not able to record tonight. We wish him a uh, speedy recovery, feeling better for next week. But tonight, it's just me and the Porgs. We are going to be doing a little solo show. We are going to start out by talking about the Legends novel, The Old Republic Annihilation. This is a novel that I uh, read for the first time a couple months ago, and I'll be totally honest with you, I was kind of blown away by it, especially after a few other uh, more lackluster novels in that series. So I want to talk about it a little bit. It's a few years old, so, you know, a few spoilers coming your way on that one. Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, action figures, because, you know, I'm by myself tonight, so I get to pick the topics, and why not? We're going to talk about the Carbonized line of Black Series figures. Uh, And we're just going to talk a little about, uh, you know, the seven figures that have been released in that wave. And, uh, you know, a little bit about uh, personal thoughts on them. And then finally, we're going to wrap up. Uh, Recently, there was a collection of short stories called Dark Legends released, written by George Mann. You may remember we talked about one of the stories from Myths and Fables on the show uh, a while ago. And uh, this is sort of a follow-up to that, another collection of short stories, and uh, we're going to discuss one of the stories in this book. All of that tonight on Star Wars All In, so stick around for more right after this. Welcome back to our first topic of the evening. We are going to be talking about the novel The Old Republic Annihilation, written by Drew Capricion. Now, this novel is interesting for a few reasons. The main reason why I wanted to do it is that, uh, first and foremost, I just really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, It is the fourth and final novel in sort of the Old Republic miniseries of novels. Now, even though it is the fourth, they're not really connected uh, beyond some sort of general things you can infer from the timeline. But basically, overall, they are all their own unique stories and... A good bit of time tends to pass in between each one, so don't worry if you uh, are not familiar with the first three novels. This one does pretty much stand on its own, and if you're looking for a Star Wars legend story to read, uh, this is one I would definitely recommend. So let's just get that out of the way. The other thing I should say up front is, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the story as a whole. We're going to talk about, you know, sort of the half dozen main characters or so. We're going to talk about the overall plot. 
and some of the big plot points. It won't be a complete book breakdown, but it's more of a, a cliff notes, a big picture kind of idea, just to give you an idea of what the story's like and uh, some of the reasons why I enjoyed it. And I can say this is one Mac has not read, so as far as uh, his thoughts on it, I can tell you they are TBD in case he ever reads it. So we're going to start out just by talking a little bit about what the Old Republic story is in the novels, Legends novels, specifically going into this. So there are three novels, Revan, Deceived, and Fatal Alliance. And for a second, I could remember it. <laughs> These three novels uh, all take place, you know, thousands of years before the Republic, but they take place spread out from one another. Basically, the Jedi are aware that the Sith exists. That's sort of the conclusion of the first novel. You know, the Jedi, the first Jedi, in this case it's Revan, discovers that the Sith are still in existence out in the galaxy. And even though he's not the one directly to sort of make their presence known, he is the first one to discover them. The second book starts off with the Sith attacking Coruscant. Basically, many hundreds of years, or I think it's like a hundred years, I don't remember exactly, uh, have passed. And basically, in this time now, the Sith have kind of made themselves known, the galaxy is at war, and even though they're talking peace, uh, the Sith are sort of still plotting behind the backs, and this whole story is about basically the Sith and the Jedi both being not what some of their members expected them to be, you know, not exactly fulfilling uh, uh, all their promises to their, uh, to their members. And then the third book, Fatal Alliance, is an interesting one because it is the one that is sort of most connected to this in that one of the main characters of the, well, one of the secondary characters of that novel is uh, Satil Shan, who is uh, a Jedi, Je the Jedi Grandmaster at some points in the Legends canon. Uh, and she is uh, not only an incredibly powerful Jedi, but has history as being uh, the descendant of Bastilla Shan and Revan and, uh, you know, other characters that have come in that bloodline. Uh, so it is definitely a character that makes an appearance in many places in Legend. But the reason why I find this Old Republic book so specific is because while it is about a, a big plot point, it kind of takes place at the end of the war. So the first novel is, you know, before the war even starts. Uh, the be, the second novel, Deceived, is sort of during the the height of the war, kind of, you know, the initial cooldown. The third novel, Fatal Alliance, is kind of in, like, the Cold War era, the stalemate. Uh, you know, both sides kind of not really gaining any ground, trying to find any advantage they can. And then this final novel, Annihilation, is sort of the end of the war, and our main character is Theron Shan. Now, this is the son of Satil, who I was just mentioning a moment ago, but he, he was born to her, uh, you know, she was a Jedi, and she obviously knew that she could not care for him and love him, because she knew she would, uh, and still fulfill her duties as a Jedi. So she gave him up to her former master who sort of left the order and raised him. And Theron basically finds himself employed by Republic Special Intelligence. That's his job. He is sort of uh, partially mechanically augmented, you know, cybernetic enhancements to make him more capable, but he is not really force sensitive. He is basically this incredibly capable, um, 
incredibly, shall we say, motivated uh, intelligence agent for the Republic. Now, basically, his story starts where he is sort of off on a mission, and he is uh, sort of pursuing his friend Tiffith. And Tiffith is this Twi'lek that he knew growing up. Him and uh, they were they were close with each other, the two of them together. And basically, she doesn't want anything to do with him, but he can't let her go. He feels an obligation because his sort of surrogate father, the Jedi who raised him, also helped her. And, you know, they, they have some history together. So he's following this character, and uh, she's not one of our absolute most essential characters, but she will come back a little bit. But basically, this whole setup, and the reason I like this book so much, is it's about six chapters before we focus on any other part of the th story besides Theron's. So you have this main character, and right away, we're getting almost this full little adventure with him at the beginning before we even go and explore another character. And every single one of the other books in this New Republic sort of mini-run here in Legends all are split between sort of two lead characters. Uh, in fact, I would say the first two especially focus more on the Sith than the Jedi who they're kind of representing. So this book really, really stuck with me because right away you're getting to know this character in a really detailed way, who, at least for me, was new. Now, as I already mentioned, another character here is Satil, Theron's mother. Uh, then we also have Marcus, who is in head, Marcus Trant, who is the head of the Republic's, uh, you know, Secret Service, sort of intelligence, uh, where Theron works. We have Jace Malcolm, who is the head of the Republic military, essentially. Uh, this is a position, you know, that normally didn't exist because the Republic didn't need a military. So instead of the Supreme Chancellor being commander, he basically hired this war hero who fought uh, at the Battle of Alderaan and all these incredible battles, um, you know, during the Sith and Jedi War. And basically, he is put in charge of the military, kind of created this, uh, this sort of position that hadn't been around for a while. Then you have Jedi Master Nos Durrell. And he is basically a Jedi who is going to join Theron on his mission because their mission, as it turns out, is going to be to track down and kill a fallen Jedi turned Sith, Darth Carid. Now, Darth Carid was apprenticed to Master Durrell when she was a Jedi, and he sent her into Darth Malgus's, who's another Sith who we met in an earlier book. So when I talk about these uh, Old Republic books being connected, it's stuff like this. You know, a character who is sort of now dead in the current timeline, but was a character featured in a previous book. You know, they might get a mention or the mention of a battle or a location, that type of thing. That's the way these Old Republic stories are tied together. So anyway... Well, we have this fallen apprentice to Master Durrell, who is now a Sith, and he, she was basically sent in to uh, sort of learn from the Sith and try and infiltrate and destroy from within, but she was turned, and basically now she's in the running for this seat on the Dark Council, which, if you're not aware of sort of the legend's lore around this, basically... There is an emperor who, right now at this moment, is actually believed to be dead, if I remember the details correctly. So the empire is in flux because no one is really in charge. And the Dark Council is basically, some of them believe the emperor is really dead, some of them believe he's in hiding, you know, we don't really know. But basically, what's happening 
is Darth Mar, who is in control of sort of security of the Empire, uh, is trying to convince the Council that Darth Carrot is the right person for the job, and she is currently in control of the technology sphere of the Empire, as they call it. So basically, each member of this ruling Dark Council is in charge of something in the Empire. So technology, or the military, or uh, weapons, or, um, you know, uh, information, stuff like that. So, this essentially fallen Jedi, now Sith Lord, is in the running for this council seat. Because she has this ship. And this ship is so powerful because she's able to connect to it using these sort of cybernetic connections. And they allow her, that combined with the Force, allow her to pilot this ship in ways that no other ship can. This ship is sort of uh, unique in the entire galaxy. And the Sith who designed it has since been killed, so no more can be made. So this is sort of the last relic of this sort of genius Sith inventor. And Darth Carrot inherited it from her when she died, and is now piloting it. And she is so powerful in this ship that other Sith are afraid to stand up to her, but they don't want her on the Dark Council because she is not pure-blooded. She is a Falene, which, if you don't know, is the same species as uh, Prince Zizor from Shadows of the Empire. So if you're trying to pr uh, picture that... So, the Ascended Spear, this ship that Darth Carrot is piloting and has sort of control over, basically, the Republic wants to destroy it because they believe without that ship, the war will be over. They already know they're going to win the war, but Jace specifically, Jace Malcolm, doesn't want to see millions of more people die on either side. He wants the war to end, and he knows that if that ship goes, the Emperor has no fighting chance just because they are so drained on resources, and at this point the Republic has sort of proved they have the, the resources in the pocketbook to win the fight. So, basically, Jace and Marcus work together to send Theron and Nost in to disable and destroy this ship. Now, there's a lot that goes on in this book. It's a, it's a pretty long and fulfilling story. But let's talk a little bit about sort of the, the key points. Now, throughout the story, Theron knows that, you know, he's got his mother. He knows that who she is and what she does and why she gave him up. But they don't really have a close relationship. And throughout the story, there becomes a bit of a pull between Satil and Jace with Theron in the middle because Satil believes that Jace might be sort of going beyond his means to accomplish this mission. He might be doing things that are not, uh, shall we say, morally correct, you know, causing them to question what is appropriate in war, what is the right course of action what is a you know appropriate risk to take and you have jace saying that well the the ends justify the means no matter what as long as we get there we can make this happen and theron is sort of caught in between now as he sort of learns about the ship and learns about his mission and uh, they basically come up with a plan to sabotage they have to steal this imperial cipher like device that will allow them to intercept any communication this will allow them to learn where the ship is going to dock so theron can sabotage it now as theron and nos 
uh, Master Nostaral go to steal this Imperial Cipher, they come up with a plan. They are going to infiltrate Minister Davidige's Imperial Communications Room. So this is basically an Imperial stronghold where uh, the person who's in charge of all communication in the military, all the sort of uh, record keeping, basically the accountants, the ones who are, you know, managing everything on the back end, he has one of these ciphers in his office. And the problem is it's programmed to be destroyed during any sort of, a, you know, scuffle, any sort of a interference. If anyone tries to move it or if anyone tries to, you know, break it away from its console, it's meant to self-destruct. So, the Republic has recovered a sort of damaged one of these ciphers from a crashed Imperial destroyer, and so their plan is to essentially go in, stage uh, an explosion, and make it look like the cipher was destroyed in the explosion, this attempt on the minister's life, while taking the actual good cipher back with them, so that way the Empire doesn't reset their communication signal, basically rendering their work useless. They're able to accomplish their mission uh, with a few setbacks, and throughout their time together, you know, the Jedi and this uh, special services member uh, get to know each other a little bit better, and it is revealed that uh, Master Durrell sent his apprentice in on purpose. You know, basically said, yes, go and follow the ways of the Sith, learn about them from the inside, and that is how we'll defeat them. And for a long time, even after swearing her allegiance to Malga, she was a double agent reporting back, but eventually he lost her. And Theron is concerned that you know, they might make it to her, and it's not going to matter because Nos won't be able to do what uh, what is needed. But they end up having uh, faith in each other, and after getting the Imperial Cipher, they are able to locate where the Ascendant Spear will be landing. Now, because the Republic has the ability, thanks to Theron and Nos stealing the Cipher, to listen in to the Empire... It's a tough call for Jace because he has to decide, well, if we make a move to intercept one of their attacks, then they're going to know we have access to their communications, meaning we cannot stop attacks if they're not related to this ship that we're after because we can't risk it. And so Theron has this whole sort of crisis of, is he on the right side? Because Jace is letting these planets get destroyed, these attacks from the Empire go forward because he's not willing to use the information he's gaining from the Sphere to stop the attacks. So this is sort of Theron coming back around to what his mother warned him about of what is Jace willing to do. Now, Theron basically tries to, you know, get Jace to see the reasoning and it just forces him to move along faster. And as they finally learn where the sphere is going to be docked, Nostarel and Theron go to intercept it and essentially plant a virus that they believe will render the ship useless, causing it to uh, malfunction, its shields to go down, its engines to go out, while they're engaging in a battle with the Republic fleet. They basically want to lure it into a trap and disable it so they can destroy it. Well, as our stowaways make their way into the sphere, Theron realizes that it's not going to happen. The ship is too well made. Every time he tries to access something, 
Darth Carrot, who is in her control sphere in the center of the ship, is able to sort of sense him in there in the machines and basically force him out. So while he's able to make adjustments, he's not able to plant the bug. So when the ship, the Ascendant Sphere, finally makes its move and the Republic springs its trap, Theron is basically trapped in the belly of the ship sort of fighting against Carid systematically through the electronic uh, systems in the Destroyer. Now, eventually, Nost and Theron make their way into her control pod, where they find two other apprentices who are sort of using their force connection to help her become more powerful, basically relaying their mental capacity through her, because piloting the ship is very taxing and very exhausting, doing it through the force and doing it for a long period of time. So, a fight ensues, and the ship is getting destroyed from the outside. Carrot can tell she's losing, and as she makes her way, you know, uh, attempting to kill Theron, because, you know, he's sort of defenseless against a, a Sith Lord, um, he is able to sort of uh, blow her up by uh, throwing a detonator into her pod with her uh, and uh, closing it up around her, and uh, that is on her end. Now... The reason I find this story so interesting, as I said at the beginning, is that it really takes a different approach to telling a full story in the Legends world. Pretty much every Legends novel is split between the perspective of multiple characters. And while this novel does have a few different character groups it bounces between, you really get the majority of your time and your pages focusing on Theron and his mission. And the other characters he interacts with basically come in and out of the story based on him, other than a little bit with the Sith. So... As far as a Star Wars novel goes, what I like to have is one really straight, solid story. And none of these other Old Republic novels really satisfied that for me. But this one specifically, really, really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so, if you are interested in the Old Republic, if you're interested in uh, some really great... Uh, how should we put this? Some really great scenes, some really great moments in this book that are just really vividly described and really, really make you feel like you are in a Star Wars story. Uh, I really enjoy the way the characters are written. There's some, uh, you know, some stereotypes, some tropes for sure, but every good Star Wars story should have that. Uh, a lot of the characters are really... Hmm, how should we put this? They're really standout-ish. They really, really do a good job of making every character feel unique. Every character feels like they have strong motivations. Every character feels like they have a clear-cut uh, story that and path that they're following. And so you never feel like there's extra characters, like there's extra fat there. It's just basically a really solidly well-told, effective story. That is exactly what I'm looking for out of a Legends novel. So this one is definitely a recommend for me. I uh, highly recommend you read it 
if you're aching for an old republic story and uh you know aren't willing to wait for uh, the high republic to come out uh this is definitely one i would recommend uh and hey if you uh like this one maybe go back and give some of the other old republic novels a try uh i would also definitely recommend the second one deceived uh that was uh definitely my second favorite to this so now that we've talked about this novel Let's go on and talk about a different piece of merchandise, some carbonized Black Series figures, right after this. Now from Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back comes Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection, a toy universe of heroes, villains, fantastic space vehicles, and faraway galaxies. I was just getting to that. These are action figures, 47 in all, fantastic. Look. All-terrain armored transport. Easy, Chewbacca. Here's Dagobah, training grounds for Master Luke. That's Slave One with frozen hand solo. And this is Hop Wampa, the snow beast with Tonton from the ice planet. Remember then, there's only one Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection from Kenner. Welcome back to topic number two. We're going to take a moment and talk about the Carbonized Black Series figures. This is a line of figures that started uh, just about a year ago now. So now that we're a short ways into this new sort of variant of the 6-inch Black Series line, I thought we could take a moment and look at it. So this line debuted on uh, Force, well, Triple Force Friday in 2019, so the beginning of September. And while all these figures were sort of technically available, uh, only a couple of them were actually bought that day by me. So we started off with four figures in this line. And if you're not familiar with what the Carbonized Collection is, these are figures that are available in their normal Black Series 6-inch form, but are also available as uh, at least these first four exclusives at specific retailers they also come in a unique shiny box that is a specific color sort of related to that character um, and they have a sort of a symbol on them that says carbonized collection but most importantly when you look at the figure it is a different uh, paint application. It is sort of shiny and reflective, and in pretty much all of them, a slightly different color as well that comes from that reflective nature. So, the four figures we've got in this collection to start September 2019 were the Mandalorian himself, Din Djarin, the one that everyone was most excited to get. Now, this figure is the Mandalorian in his original armor that we see him in for the first two and a half episodes of season one, and this was a Target-exclusive figure. Now, this was the figure that uh, I was in line for on that Triple Force Friday, the one I was most excited to get because I knew it would be a, a pain to get, and I knew I wanted a Mandalorian figure, so why not go for the most unique one? And so I was able to get one, luckily, uh, Mac and I and the other uh, two people in line behind us. Luckily, I think they had five of them, so we were all able to get one. Uh, and there was a little bit of fear when we went in the store because there was the middle aisle display and then there was the normal aisle display. Well, I went for the middle aisle, you know, the sort of uh, pop-up display, and it turns out the uh, carbonized figures were not there. So luckily, even though I was first in line and not the first to get to them, I was still able to get one. Um, 
the second carbonized figure from that day that I was able to pick, uh, pick up was the second sister from, you know, Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, and this was a GameStop exclusive. Now, I should point out, each of these carbonized figures lists at retail $2 more than their variant, $24.99 instead of $22.99. So you are paying a little bit more for that um, uniqueness. Now, the second sister is a little bit less noticeable, I think, when you look at uh, her, you know, her figure. It's a, the, the metallic sheen isn't quite as noticeable as it is on the Mandalorian variant, especially on the Mandalorian's chest plate when you compare it. For the second sister, you do see it on her helmet and all of her armor, but it's a little bit more subtle because it's black instead of silver or sort of, you know, uh, bronze. The third figure in the line, and the one that I think, frankly, as a figure, as a variant, looks the coolest, is the Amazon-exclusive Sith Trooper. So, the regular Sith Trooper is sort of that nice kind of matte red, very, very nice. Well, the carbonized one, you guessed it, is uh, very shiny. It's a darker red, too, almost like kind of a, hmm... Well, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Um, this is normally Max territory. Uh, kind of like a blood red, like a very dark brownish red and very you know nice and reflective and looks great up there on the shelf now the final carbonized figure the one that i think is the uh, least unique out of the four is a walmart exclusive and that was the jet trooper uh so obviously the the walmart figure and the uh, sith trooper uh both i had to order through the mail luckily both came fine no issues and the jet trooper is uh basically a shiny sort of almost off-white slightly yellowed figure it uh, definitely looks the least interesting when you're looking at them but it's still a cool figure to have and that in the Sith and the Sith Trooper I have not uh, bought their variants yet I only have the carbonized versions now for a while we thought maybe that would be it maybe that would be all the carbonized figures we would get it was just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I mean, we also got first edition figures during that event, and we haven't gotten any more first edition figures since, so maybe this would be it. Well, as it turns out, a couple more carbonized figures were right around the corner. As part of the 40th anniversary for The Empire Strikes Back, there is a carbonized Stormtrooper and a carbonized Boba Fett. Now, these were not exclusives to different retailers. They're mostly exclusives to online retailers like your Amazons and uh, your GameStops and your Dorksides and your Entertainment Earths and stuff like that. Most of them had it. So the Stormtrooper is an interesting one because instead of being sort of a very mild off-white yellow like the Jet Trooper, it's actually this really cool silver and it's the only one I actually don't have in person yet I kind of skipped out on the pre-order uh, just because it was a time I was trying not to uh, you know spend any more money on Star Wars toys so I skipped out on the pre-order on that one but I will get it eventually I'm sure what I did just get in the mail and what spurred this topic on is the 40th anniversary edition the carbonized Boba Fett figure and this will be the only black series figure that I think I will forever leave in the box because this green box that it comes in 
is just so darn perfect. I don't even know how else to describe it. It is this beautiful shade of green. We've never had a Black Series figure in this shade of box before. Um, it's got this beautiful yellow background that really makes the figure inside pop. Of course, the figure itself looks great, all shiny and reflective in its carbonized variant. And uh, it's a great souvenir for the 40th anniversary because I didn't buy a lot of the 40th figures this year like I did for the New Hope 40th line where I have a complete carded collection of those. This just felt like, uh, you know, I owned most of these figures already. A lot of them are just repacks or remakes, you know, with new printings of the face. And for me, that's not, uh, you know, not uh, in the cards for me. I'm not going to buy them all uh, again. So for me, I got the Boba Fett. And then there is one more figure that has recently been announced in the Carbonized line, and that is the 40th anniversary Empire Strikes Back Darth Vader. Now, I ordered two of these because, uh, as I might have mentioned before, I do have a pretty large Darth Vader collection in my Star Wars collection. You know, that's sort of my biggest sub-collection are my Vaders. And so I wanted to have an in-box Carbonite Vader uh, because it's part of that, you know, 40th anniversary and uh, haven't bought a lot of the uh, commemorative stuff this year so far. So wanted to have one of those. So one has arrived, the other has not. Uh, so I do have an inboxed one of those, haven't opened it yet, but it is quite pretty. Now, these figures are interesting because every single one of them is a figure we've already had. It's a figure we purchased before. So do we need these sort of special edition boxes, these sort of at least they are repaints, at least it's not just a box you're buying for $25. Um, but do we really need these variants? Now, my personal thoughts, I mean, I own five out of six of them, or four, five, six out of seven of them, sorry. Um, this is an interesting one, because when the Stormtrooper and the Boba Fett came out, I only pulled the, the trigger on the Boba because of the green box. And then I pulled the trigger on the Vader because, well, it's Vader, and I collect Vaders. And... As I sit here thinking about it and looking at them and uh, talking to you about it, I kind of think, well, okay, I definitely feel better buying these figures than I would something simple like a repack. For example, a 40th anniversary card. As I said, I didn't buy them this year um, other than the ones that were new. So I got to see a couple in person. You know, I got to open the Rebel Trooper and I got to open the Luke and I got to open uh, the Yoda, or the uh, R2-D2, you know, the, the Dagobah Swamp R2-D2 because those were all new figures and they were great. But the only one I bought to keep in the packaging besides those carbonized figures is uh, one of the Vaders for, once again, the same reason. So, I would rather see carbonized figures become a staying thing than having first editions stick around. First editions really just feels like something that exists so scalpers can make more money. And that is something I'm definitely not about in the toy community. I want the, sh uh, the stuff to go to fans first. So, first edition, not a big fan. But if Carbonize wants to stick around, at least we're getting a new figure and we're getting these really awesome boxes. Now, unfortunately, I did throw away my boxes for the uh, first four Carbonize figures after I opened them. I kept them for a little while, but, you know, decided I'm never going to pack them back up. I'm never going to put them in the box, so I decided not to keep them. Uh, I know a lot of collectors hate that, and, you know, you might be screaming at me right now for doing it, but I am an open box type of guy. So, other than this Boba Fett and a few other uh, 
rarities I have. I think the boxes are going to remain closed for a while. So, if you've seen these carbonized figures in person, if you have any thoughts about them, if you've bought any of them, uh, I'd love to hear your take on them. So, uh, as always, feel free to reach out to us at, uh, you know, Star Wars All In on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the carbonized collection. And who knows, maybe a year from now we'll be back to talking and there'll be another seven figures in the line for us to talk about. Uh, until then, let's move on to our final topic. Hey everyone, welcome back to our final topic of the evening. We're going to talk about the collection of short stories written by George Mann called Star Wars Dark Legends. Now, this is a group of stories that was just released recently, and I want to talk about it uh, as well as a few of the other books related to it. So, I'll be honest with you. I only found out just this morning that I would be uh, recording this episode solo. So, I have only read the first two stories from the Dark Legends book. And what I'd like to do, because eventually we're going to want to go back in and, uh, you know, give a full rundown of this because I really do enjoy it. What I'd like to do is tell you a little bit about the book itself because it's a little unique in uh, sort of our current canon of Star Wars. So, the first sort of um, Miss book written by George Mann last year was called Miss and Fables. And that was another collection of short stories, some sort of horror-based, like this Dark Legends book is, some more adventure or uh, mythical-based, as I would say. But Dark Legends is a little bit more unique because each story in it is a sort of horror dark side type story. It's very much a uh, spooky Star Wars book. Now, the first two stories of it, I just want to talk about the first story called The Orphanage. Now, this very first story takes place uh, basically at an orphanage. <laughs> who knew? There is a character who is at this orphanage and she hears all of these horror stories about how this monster comes in during the night and steals children away, never to be seen from again. And throughout the book, we realize that this monster is not just grabbing random children, but it's grabbing Force-sensitive children, because our lead character in the story is Force-sensitive, and even though she can't describe what that is, or even knows what the Force is, you know, to call it, she knows that she has this understanding of the world, this power, and she can sense that other people have it too, and she realizes that those are the people being taken by the monster. Now, one night she awakens to find one of her friends uh, having this terrible monster standing over their bed, this long gray face and uh, this sort of black cloak, 
and these long dangly fingers and this monster basically steals away another friend and as she realizes what's happening as she realizes this person who's stealing these people has the same uh, you know sort of power she does she realizes that there must be something she has to do to stop it now I'm not going to give any spoilers away but this type of story is something that is built into this not only entire book, but as we mentioned, the other book, Myths and Fables. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because if the short story format is something you're interested in, these are books that I absolutely highly recommend. They're really, really great, um, and they really are nice, quick, fun reads. Now, as we uh, get to October, the spookiest month, of course, you know, you might be looking for a scary Star Wars book to read, and Dark Legends, I think, is a great place to start. The other thing I love about it is the physical edition is just adorable. It's this sort of tiny journal-sized book, you know. It's a um, pretty small, smaller than a hardback book, but, uh, you know, about the size of a paperback, a little bit bigger, a little bit wider. Uh, and it's got this sort of journalistic look. The edge of the pages are ripped and torn, you know, they're... They're distressed. It's got this sort of like a um, stylistic uh, design on each page. And then each story starts with a beautiful piece of artwork, uh, you know, of a character or, you know, thing from that story. And just the physical printing edition alone is worth picking up. But the other reason I wanted to talk about this is uh, just like our Black Series conversation, it's about collecting. Miss and Fables and now Dark Legends both have their own special editions that can be found at Target as part of the Galaxy's Edge display. So it's the same book, but in a different cover, a different format, and with a few additional stories. Now, just like before with the Black Series, the Carbonized Collection, I uh, have a little bit of an issue with this sort of, um, you know, multiple versions of the same book. We've already got exclusives for places like Barnes & Noble. We've got things like convention exclusives, and, you know, we used to have things like Science Fiction Book Club and stuff like that. So exclusives are around and have been around in Star Wars books for a while. But to have these exclusives for books that are so new with these unique stories is a new approach for Star Wars books, especially interesting for books that are so hmm, off the beaten path, books that are not your you know most sought after. Now, I know a lot of hardcore stands who are re uh, who are really excited for this Dark Legends book. But, you know, your, your average Star Wars fan isn't going to know that this thing exists or was just released or that there's, you know, two versions of it depending on where you buy it. But it, it was something that just kind of got me interested because where does do, where do we go from here with this? You know, does every book have multiple editions? A book that is short stories, it's really easy to do. What about something like, uh, you know, we've got From a Certain Point of View 2 coming out? You know, will that book have multiple editions with uh, maybe extra stories depending on where you buy it? That's a very real possibility. And my question for you is, you know, where do you think 
this could feasibly end. Can we end up with multiple different covers, multiple different editions at retailers on a regular basis for every book? Rather than having a convention exclusive, since we might not be having conventions anytime soon, maybe instead of being a poster in the Barnes & Noble version, it's an actual different cover, or it has bonus content, a short story. You know, that's a, that's a world in Star Wars publishing that we might be arriving at very soon as they seek for ways to kind of um, hype up these different books and different releases and, you know, to sell different stories over and over again. Uh, so the reason I am talking about all this today uh, you know, to bring it all back to the beginning is this Dark Legends book absolutely worth picking up. And if you're going to pick it up for the first time, you know, if you haven't heard about it up until now, I'd highly recommend checking out the Target edition that has exclusive stories. Now, when I finish Dark Legends, we'll definitely be sure to give you a more complete breakdown of it. But I hope that little uh, sort of taste of what one of the stories is like uh, gives you an idea of what you're in for with a book like this. There's sort of these short little 30-page, and when I say 30-page, I mean really more like 10 pages because they're quite small and uh, largely spaced pages, but these sort of short little stories, these short little vignettes that take place in different eras and in different places in the Star Wars timeline. The first story takes place, you know, around the time of the Galactic Purge, you know, not far after. The second story takes place during the dawn of the First Order. So you get to see different eras in Star Wars, you get to see different places, and you get to see different characters each sort of falling into their own, uh, you know, Star Wars-based horror story. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, I highly, highly recommend Dark Legends, um, even, like I said, just for the physical printing alone. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you about it more once I have a better understanding of it and I've had a chance to read it and check out the uh, other editions myself in person once I get those. Um, if you have any thoughts on Dark Legends, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. I'd love to know what your favorite story is from it. And uh, once I finish it, I'd be happy to let you know mine too. All right. Hang tight one more second. We are going to go and wrap this thing up right after this. All right, everybody, we made it. We have, what, a, about a 40-minute episode. Not too bad for being solo with only about eight hours of notice. Uh, I do apologize to everyone. I know listening to one person speak uh, in sort of an incoherent way isn't always the best podcast experience. But uh, I do promise that as we do these solo episodes, I will try and make it uh, at least a little bit better than the time before. So I hope this uh, helped give you your Star Wars fix for the day. Uh, I know I always enjoy talking about it, even when I'm just talking to myself into my computer monitor. Um, I look forward to seeing you again next week. Let's see, is there anything new 
in the world of Star Wars that we should talk about. I mean, we've talked about action figures, we've talked about books. Um, Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising was just released between last show and this one. Um, so far, I've received two copies from Amazon, both with damaged covers. So they are not replacing them uh, anymore. They won't send me a third one. So I am going to see whichever one looks best, keep it, and then uh, maybe I'll pick up a Barnes & Noble copy sometime. But uh, I don't want to miss my chance on getting the uh, blue page edition, uh, which these both are. So I don't know. One cover looks like it has some mud on it. Another one has some scratches and some marks and some nicks. So uh, not great, but we'll see what happens there. Um, as I said, I'm currently reading Dark Legends. I'm also still reading the Legends novel Knight Errant. I've fallen a little bit behind on my Legends reading. Uh, but, uh, yeah, reading that currently. Let's see. Uh, Star Wars Celebration. Uh, ticket transfers just happened. Uh, so, hopefully, if there are tickets going on sale, that'll happen soon. Because, really hoping to get mine. And, uh, oh, we just had a traveler return from Batuu. I want to send a, a shout-out, a thank-you to a friend of the show and uh, former guest, Chris Byers, who recently returned from an outing to Batu and was able to bring me a Sprite. So I uh, really appreciate that, Chris. He also picked me up a few uh, Funkos, so really do appreciate that, buddy, as always. Thank you very much. Uh, and another, another shout-out to another friend of the show, listener Derek. Uh, Derek, thank you so much, uh, for the, uh, the, the Legends novels. Derek, uh, helped to complete, uh, my Legends collection. The Star Wars All In, uh, Legends Library is now complete. All 146 Legends novels, uh, complete right here on a bookshelf behind me. And uh, as I make my way through them, I will continue to keep you updated on my process. But seriously, Derek, thank you so much. Uh, finished off the collection for us by uh, sending us the last four novels we needed for it. So we, uh, we really can't thank you enough. It, it really is appreciated. Um, as more Star Wars news continues to develop, uh, you know, we will talk about it a little bit as we do. Uh, we know The Mandalorian is pre premiering on October 30th this year. Uh, very much looking forward to that, obviously. Can't contain our excitement much longer. Uh, Star Wars Squadrons comes out in less than a month, so we've never been closer on that. So there is uh, certainly a lot happening in the world of Star Wars, and we cannot wait to talk about it. So... I think that's everything I have to say today. It is uh, it is really hard to talk for an hour by yourself. So uh, we're going to call this one close enough and uh, hopefully enjoyed it at least a little bit. So since Mac isn't here, I get to say the line. You ready? Well, I'm Ross. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.